Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. And it's good to be with you and hear you even even in bad voice. I appreciate that. I have to acknowledge <laughs> But that. you got Shabbos to recuperate. Let's hope. Believe you me, by Monday it better be much better. Malcolm, I want to start with your favorite topic, if you don't mind. The earliest written inscription of the word Jerusalem, written in Hebrew, on a 2,000-year-old column drum unveiled on Tuesday at a press conference at the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. The limestone column drum that dates back to the Second Temple period was discovered 10 months ago at an excavation site near the Binyanei Haoma, the International Convention Center. That's how the media is playing it, that you know, you're taking somebody who really just has a desire to you know, become academically challenged in Israel, uh, and, you're, uh, and you know, even, even her, even her, a mild BDSer, is being detained. By the way, Brett Stevens was outspoken about this, and I was curious if you agree that uh, that his anti-Trumpness has has had an effect on his support of Israel. Would you agree with that? There are people who say it. Uh, I'm surprised by some of the things that uh, he has written. He is clearly uh, uh, against the president and ties that in as as uh, others do. But I, I think that that. You know, here you have a, a, a campaign. The BDS campaign is not an economic war against Israel. Israel's economy is not impacted. This past month, $500 million in new investments. It's going to be a record year again. The Israel's economy, thank God, is flourishing. And you see the Palestinians protesting it and saying, look, you're cutting the jobs from us when you do BDS. So it, it is not about justice, it's not a, et cetera. It is a campaign against Israel's right to exist. It is basically anti-Semitism in, in a fancier gown. You saw the case in Michigan this week where the professor who who refused to write a letter recommendation letter uh, right. recommendation for because somebody wanted to study in Israel and it turns out that there was more than one but thank God the university finally took steps to uh, uh, punish and to to sanction the professor and wrote a letter uh, about him and he didn't, he's not getting his automatic raise when he's supposed to it's it's not any kind of severe punishment I don't think but it's it's certainly the public recognition and the public acknowledgement that this is unacceptable behavior and uh, we, we and we as a community and others who care about Israel, who care about these values, can't be indifferent to it and just say, "Well, anybody can." You know, it's freedom of speech. You can go and and do whatever you want. No, there has to be some standard. There has to be some basis. People are free to differ with Israel, and they can certainly differ over policies of Israel. Uh, but. You, you you can't engage in these campaigns and say Israel has an obligation to let you come in and continue those those activities. I don't. Again, we can't evaluate each individual case. You have to know all the details and whatever the interrogation found. Uh, and uh, Israel has to be judicious in the way that it applies it. By the way, uh, one of the guests we you, you speak about the economy and uh, how Israel's flourishing. One of the guests we spoke to this week was John Medved. And the, the Chinese investment in Israel is, is just hard to believe. It's unbelievable. not just the government and the way that their leaders come and uh, try to bridge the gaps between China and Israel in terms of technology, but private investment as well. I met this week here with the uh, uh, Chinese business people who are interested in investing in Israel. I've met them in Israel, and it's, uh, it's incredible the, the number of people who are coming in and 
tourism from China, well, I think, will reach 150,000 this year or next. And the you, you, when you travel around Israel, you see the delegations, mostly tourists and people come to visit. Uh, but the, the numbers are, are increasing, and the investment and joint operations, joint uh, initiatives, um, you know, there's some hesitancy about the, the rules, and et cetera, when it comes to, to doing it, for especially for startups. And China, Chinese companies usually want a big stake in, in the enterprises. But clearly, the, the investment, the amount of money being invested is, is uh, growing, and the outcrowd, which deals with startups, um, re- reflects it. By the way, the um, on the BDS side, because you mentioned it, so I saw this thing that a Jerusalem court ruled that two New Zealand BDS activists have to pay damages for their role in the cancellation of the scheduled Lord concert in Tel Aviv. We had spoken about this. Now, this is, I mean, I don't think there'll ever be any money exchange, but this is a pretty good tactic. And I'm does this happen often, by the way, when these uh, when these concerts are canceled because of BDS uh, activities that that people actually go to court and and try to make a statement legally. I don't remember that it happened. What what the court ruled was that they had to compensate the ticket holders Correct. for the cost of the tickets, and that's a great disincentive yeah. to to the uh, BDSers and the boycotters if you if they uh, are held liable for the consequences of, of what they do. You want to do it, but you got to pay the price for it. Uh, I think that that is really a um, an important statement. The uh, so one of the topics this week, of course, was what's going on along the Gaza border, and uh, every expert we had on, you know, as I asked the question, "How did we avoid war this summer?" Uh, unfortunately, said, you know, hate to break the news to you, but there could be, you know, there could be a war today. The way things are going over there, is there anything, any, any update regarding the PA and Hamas relationship? As again, it was Hamas last week that we pointed out who was demanding a ceasefire with Israel. If anything, it's gotten worse that Abbas is, is protesting the oil shipments paid for by Qatar that Israel was allowing into Gaza, and Israel decided to go against the PA and to uh, allow it in. I mean, they, they were trying to build up to six or nine hours of electricity. Now it's it's, it's shrinking. I think it's below four hours a day. And uh, the PA uh, uh, said that they were giving them a week to, to surrender um, they, they, uh, the tensions between them are, are increasing uh, uh, steadily, rapidly. Uh, and, and I just want to make one comment. There is a war in the South. That's why I'm, I'm saying that this, these campaigns, whether it's the incendiary devices, the attempts to cross the border, the shootings, the uh, bombs that they throw, 100 rockets and bombs in, in a, in a, over a weekend, it's it's not an all-out war where you have Israel invading, but Israel, every day, Israeli soldiers face a hostile enemy, incited, paid for, obviously being being armed uh, to um, attempt to kill and to enter the territory of Israel, to kill Israeli soldiers, to take territory, to do, uh, to hit this community. Well, then even Israeli media is not reminding the world enough that there's a war right now, then. Yeah, because people get tired. They don't want to report every single day uh, uh, something happens. Uh, you know, the terror tunnel doesn't get the publicity that it used to get when they when they discovered it. And that's one of the reasons why I, I bring up and, and mention the statistics is because 
you've got to constantly be reminded about what what in reality Israel is facing, and then you know to to whether there will be an all-out war. You know when when there's reports that Hamas says they're ready, they're not ready. Hamas, I don't believe, wants an all-out war with Israel. I don't think the people of Gaza want an all-out war uh, with Israel. I think they all understand the price that will be paid, and that Israel. But how long can Israel tolerate the kind of uh, uh, daily incursions and threats? It, it, there's got to be some point where they say no more, and they have hit them uh, with air strikes. They've hit them with missile strikes, and and the obviously the jihadists, the murderers, they don't kill. They don't care about. Um, uh, about the loss of civilian life, they want to encourage the deaths of of, uh, of civilians. And uh, you know, when when the, again, obviously Israel is always judged by a double or a triple uh, standard. You know, you know what you mentioned before it, in the, in two years between 2015 and 17, um, 350 people were killed by jihadists across Europe, and terrorism became the number one public concern. So the, the Europeans have poured money into counterterrorism, some of them studying from Israel's examples, um, doing a, a more intelligence um, uh, things. But they've also introduced radical measures. I saw that uh, Austria deported 60 imams this year. Italy deported 300-plus extremists over the last two years. Britain took away um, uh, from uh, the citizenship for more than 100 suspected Islamic uh, you know, terrorists or extremists or whatever, what do they call, oh, militants, I think is the word that they that they uh, use. Uh, you go country by country, and it's true. Where's the headlines? Israel, which faces a far more direct threat. And the the uh, European countries never get held to account. There are no UN resolutions. There's no challenge to it, because it's what countries should do and must do. And the the um, and the number of attacks in 2018 were down. They say because of of um, them foiling uh, more of the attacks that uh, that have been taking place in Europe. Um, and now to uh, Iran and Syria for a moment. When the U.S., as you mentioned earlier, uh, insists that all Iranian Iranian-backed forces in Syria have to be removed, Syria ignores it, or do they react with some type of official reaction? Say it again. Does Syria react to Pompeo's statement, or they just ignore it? Oh, um, well, as long as the Russians and others give them a blank check, and they are not held to account either for the vast damage, killings, murders that have taken place, and someday when the true account of all of this is is written, it's a it's a really bloody record. Um, but. You know, if you don't not held to account, you do it and keep pressing ahead. And we know that they are, and they're, they've taken more territory back. We know that they have imposed harsh restrictions in places that they've recaptured. Uh, so I would say, by and large, they they have ignored it. But the United States uh, has put some consequences, and I think that you know they they uh, certainly we have sanctions on Syria, and sanctions work. We we see it against Iran, we see it against Turkey, we see them in in, in each case. The economic sanctions that when the United States economy is not available to, to countries, they uh, they suffer the consequences. And if you can't deal through the American banking system and use our the SWIFT and the other um, uh, sort of transactional uh, uh, resources, 
it's really a, a big blow. And, and Syria till now, and, and the Russians are in there and they're active, and the S-300 was delivered. We don't know yet exactly what the deployment, who will run it, who will control it, and it will take some time until it's up and, and running. It'll take months, I think. But uh, just the presence there is, is significant. There was reports that Iran was evacuating the T4 uh, base, which is one of the places where Israel uh, was striking because uh, the Russians took over the, this military air base to put the S-300 air defense batteries there. And it's, this is one of the key Iranian positions uh, in Syria, and it's one of the places that Israel has highlighted in, in the attacks. And supposedly there are also North Korean experts there, etc. So, <laughs> you know, it's a double, triple, quadruple standard. Uh, last week we pointed out, the uh, because we had not spoken in a while, what had happened between uh, Russia and Israel. Did that conversation ever take place this week between Netanyahu and Putin? He's supposedly uh, going there to visit, but uh, uh, I know that there have been discussions between uh, Israel and uh, uh, Russia, and it's, you've seen that, that it uh, quieted down, but they're not relenting on the decision about uh, uh, the, putting in the missiles, and Israel has had to say that it will not stop their activities, that they will continue, that they can't be subject, that they, they can negate. Uh, technologically, the S three hundred, but you know you raise a price. As in this case, if if the uh, Russian soldiers manning these places and Israel has to neutralize them or find ways to avoid them, you you create a circumstance where you could have more incidents involving um, you know Russians and, and Israel has done everything to avoid having casualties. That's why they set up the system, to the, or the warning system, uh, that Israel notifies them bef- just before a strike um, takes place. Um, you know, Malcolm, this week I had a chance to really um, think back and reminisce, because it's been, it's now, I believe, almost 30 years that uh, we've done broadcasts from Israel, and what, what a difference. What a different country it is, in a way, and we were we were lamenting and praising at the same time. In a way, it's a shame that the new generation doesn't realize what life was like there 30 years ago. And obviously, in a way, it's wonderful that they're able to go and enjoy Israel the way it is right now. And when you just think of the short, and I'm not talking about pre-state to today, I'm talking about just the last couple of decades. When you think of the differences and the way Israel is viewed by the world and the way one can walk with confidence in the streets of Jerusalem or any other city in Israel, it's simply remarkable. And when you see young people can walk 12 o'clock at night, you see uh, boys and girls walking, you, uh, families walking in the streets, people aren't afraid, they're not looking over their shoulders when you, uh, and you know, go very often to Israel. I see change from visit to visit. I mean, you see new things, you see um, new additions to the skyline, the construction is unbelievable, the number, uh, the, for, uh, you know, the national bird, the crane, uh, everywhere. Um, you see the new institutions, new museums, new sites that have been created for, for people to visit and enjoy and explore Israel. It's it just constantly, we're rediscovering our past and we're creating a new future. And it, it, because it's every day and it's taken for granted and people go to Yerushalayim, when I walk the streets, I think about exactly what you said. First of all, where we are when you go to Ir David and you see that you are reconnecting with your great, 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 great grandparents from, and walk where they walked and do what they did when they were Ola Regal and they went to Jerusalem. 
and and people just take it for granted. We take all of this, and that's the danger. And we take for granted the threats. We become to inure to them, which is what our enemy wants. They want us to be silenced. They want us to be intimidated or, or just become bored. They know the media in America won't, will, you know, stop reporting it. And then if Israel responds, that becomes then the sole story and taken totally out of context. The immense uh, contributions Israel's making, we, we, we spoke to the, the head of the Israel Cancer Research Foundation about all the new innovations in cancer research, how much is going on in Israel today, the front line that will benefit all people, how many new discoveries are coming out of Israel in the medical and, and uh, area, and um, medicines and other things, new new technologies. It's just, uh, to me, the part of the frustration is that, that we don't inculcate in our young the excitement, the beauty, the celebration of Israel. And all they read then are about terror attacks or about negative stories from the media. Right, or the BDSers on the college campuses. Exactly, exactly. All right, thank you so much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Not willing. Have a good Shabbos. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday's weekly update here at JM in the AM.